right. How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? I got good news for you. I want to give you our theme for 2023. Can you put it up on the screen? Set free in 23. Set free in 23. This is not just a slogan. This is a decision. Because let me say to you that if you don't make a decision that you're going to be set free in 23, you ain't going to be set free in 23. Slogan can't free you, but faith can free you. A mantra cannot free you, but faith can free you. John chapter 8, verse 31. To the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, If you cling to my teaching, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you cling to my teaching, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the truth sets you free only when you know it. And secondly, you know it only when you cling to his teachings. You cling to his teachings, you know the truth, and the truth sets you free. Every place of bondage in your life and in my life comes down to a lie that you're believing. The only thing that can enslave you is a lie. So when we talk about getting free in 23, we're talking about identifying the lies that we believed in 22 that kept us bound. Because if you take the same lies into 23, the same bondage will follow you into 23. And so believing the truth, identifying the truth, believing the truth, and finding freedom. Now there's three primary areas of bondage, three primary areas of torment that are experienced by virtually every human being in some way, shape, or form. The first area of torment is in finances. Have you ever experienced financial torment? You know what I'm talking about? The second area of torment is physical health. You experience torment in your physical health. And the third area of torment is family or relationships. So when the enemy comes to torment you, he tries to torment you in one of those three areas. Freedom does not mean the absence of pain. It is the absence of torment. It does not mean that you will not have difficulties in those areas, but you can maintain freedom in the midst of difficulty, and therefore you walk free from torment. But what the enemy does is he adds a lie to your pain, and when you believe the lie in the midst of your pain, your pain becomes torment. If you lose a loved one, you're supposed to grieve. You're not supposed to be tormented indefinitely. Right? If you break your arm, you're supposed to be in pain. You're not supposed to be in torment indefinitely. If you get in an accident, you're supposed to be shaken up. You're not supposed to live in torment and fear for the rest of your life. You understand what I'm saying? The enemy loves to jump on stuff that you are going to go through, that you have to go through, but he wants to add bondage to that trial, to that tribulation, to bring you into torment, because that's really what the enemy wants. He doesn't want you to walk in the fullness of joy that Jesus died to bring you. He wants you to live in torment even after you've been redeemed. And so free in 23 means... Free from torment. 
Now, I want to say to you that 2023 is different. The world is fundamentally different. Something happened at the end of 2022 that's actually bigger than the Internet. It's called AI. It's important that we talk about it. Because when these revolutions tend to happen, the church tends to live way behind. And the first thing the church tends to do is demonize the new thing. When the automobile was invented, the first thing the church did was demonize it. First automobile traveled at like 15 miles an hour, and preachers were preaching against it. God doesn't want us to travel at breakneck speeds of 15 miles an hour. I actually read sermon clips about it. When the drum set was invented, the church has demonized it. You're bringing the devil's music into the house of God. The television was invented. The church demonized it. That is demonic. That demonic box that you look at, don't take that thing into your house. And what the church tends to do is, is relegate the members of the church to the back of history so that we're always catching up. We're always on the back end of stuff. And what I want to say to you is that we need to be level-minded. We need to be balanced in our thinking. We must understand two things. Number one, AI is going to change the world, and it's going to change the world rapidly and quickly. And it's going to do two things. Number one, it's going to prevent, present greater opportunity for fruitfulness and productivity than you could ever imagine. And for that reason, we need to be using it, like right now. You need to be on ChatGPT. You need to be on on um, uh, uh, what's the the you know not even not just Dolly too, but uh, what's the other one? Stable diffusion. You need we need to be learning this stuff and learning how to integrate it into our life. But secondly, it will create greater bondage than you could ever imagine. Specifically, the integration of AI and VR. Artificial intelligence and virtual reality. You put those two things together, and there's a greater potential for bondage and addiction. If you think pornography addiction is bad now, wait till you can put on goggles and go into a world where it feels more real than anything you could ever imagine. People are going to get lost in that world. So we need to be on the forefront of this and understand... This is something that we need to learn how to use for the glory of God. But secondly, we also need to be aware that we need to learn how to utilize this without becoming, without falling into bondage to this thing. God wants us to, and this is what he did in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. All of these trees you can freely eat, but this tree, don't touch this tree. And this is what God is doing. This is what God is saying to us, that we need to be aware of what's happening in the world, but make a decision that I'm going to be free in 23, that I'm, I'm going to utilize, I'm going to eat the fruit, but I'm not going to touch the forbidden fruit, that I'm going to stay free from bondage. I'm going to be free in 2023. Come on, somebody. I'll tell you now, my daughter will be using ChatGPT on a daily basis to do her homework. You'll figure it out soon enough. If you, if you don't know what it is, you need to go home and look it up immediately and get an account and open it up. Matter of fact, I'm gonna create a video and share it with all of you so you see what it is because it's super important.
It's revolutionary and it's dangerous. And we don't stay away from something because it's dangerous. The automobile is dangerous too. You just learn how to drive safely. And so you need to teach your children how to drive safely in this new world and not be afraid. Not be afraid. That's the thing. In this world, you will have tribulation. But Jesus said, fear not. I've overcome the world. You don't have to be afraid of the dangers of stuff. The fact that something presents a danger doesn't mean that you have to reject it and stay away from it. There's danger in all most good things. Getting married is dangerous. Very dangerous. It will cause you more pain than anything you will ever do in your life. But it will also bring greater grace and maturity and clarity and love and acceptance and joy into your life than anything you ever do. You just got to learn how to do it well. (laughs) Right? Just like you learn how to drive. So the question is, how do we get free in 2023? And how do we stay free in 2023? Jesus says you will know the truth. It's knowing the truth that sets you free. Now The question is, what is the truth? If you take the entirety of scripture, it can be boiled down to two great truths. The first truth is who God is or who Jesus is. That's the fundamental truth of scripture is who Jesus is. And the call to repent when you want to turn to God, the first thing you got to do is repent. What that means is repent of what you used to believe about Jesus. This is the fundamental focus of repentance. I was wrong about Jesus. See, we tend to think I'm repenting of my sins. I'm repenting of, you know, the drugs I used to do and the sex I used to have and, the, you know, all these things. I, no, no, no. I'm repenting first and foremost of what I used to believe about Jesus. I didn't know he was the son of God. I didn't know he was the savior of the world. I didn't know that he had died for my sins, that he paid the penalty for my sins. I didn't know that God raised him from the dead and sat him at his right hand, far above all power and principality and dominion and might. I thought it was just another historical figure, or maybe I thought he didn't exist at all, or maybe I thought they faked his resurrection and lied to everybody. I'm repenting of what I used to believe about Jesus that was wrong. Coming into the truth is first and foremost embracing the truth of who God is is who Jesus is but then there's a second component of truth who you are in Jesus who you are in Jesus repenting of who of what you did is the lowest level of repentance but repenting of what you believed that caused you to do what you did now that's a deeper level of repentance because behavior always follows faith Everything you do flows out of what you believe. And if you want to do differently in 2023, you need to believe differently in 2023. What are you believing about yourself that is keeping you bound up and tied up and locked up until you stop and say, I'm doing what I'm doing because of what I believe. I need to change what I believe until you you come there. You're not going to see any change in 2023. And let me say this, that the fundamental component of faith, believing in who Jesus is, easy. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've come to him and you've really had an encounter with him and you've received him as Lord and Savior, it's easy to confess who he is. Easy. All you have to do is encounter him and you're very clear about who he is. You're Lord. I mean, even, even doubting Thomas when he saw him said, my Lord and my God. My Lord, he didn't just say my, my, my uh, rabbi or my, he said my Lord and my God. His theology changed real quick. All he had to do was encounter the living Christ. 
Believing in who Jesus is is easy if you're a believer. Believing in who you are in him, that's more difficult. This is the fundamental sin of the average believer. Not the failure to believe in who Jesus is, but the failure to believe in who you are in Jesus. Not, and you think, and we think that's humility. I believe Jesus is great, and I believe that I am, you know, nothing. I believe that I am a filthy, wretched, wicked. Well, then the cross of Jesus, I guess that failed, huh? Not realizing that if I don't believe in who I am in him, I'm doubting what he did for me. If I don't believe in who I am in him, I don't believe in what he did for me. I'm literally telling him, I know you paid the price for my sin, but it didn't quite work. And so often, so much of our prayers is begging God to do again that which he has already called done. Begging God to make you what he has already made you. One of my favorite passages of scripture is in Judges chapter 6 where the angel of the Lord visits this dude named Gideon who's in the wine press hiding out from the Midianites and he's in there threshing his wheat in the wine press and the angel appears to him and what does the angel say? Greetings, mighty warrior. Greetings, mighty warrior. Greetings, mighty warrior. Notice the angel does not prophesy to him and say, by the time I'm done with you, you will be a mighty warrior. The angel calls him a mighty warrior when there is no evidence to support the claim. He's done nothing mighty, and he's done nothing warrior. In terms of his past experience, it's a complete misnomer. In terms of his present behavior, it's a complete misnomer. But the angel says, you're a mighty warrior because I said you're a mighty warrior. When God said, let there be light, there was light because he said so. When Jesus called Peter the rock, he was the rock because he said so. When God told Abraham, you're the father of many nations, he was the father of many nations because he said so. And all throughout the Bible, there's all these stories where God gives you an identity that does not conform to your past behavior or experience. There's no evidence to support the claim, but God says, I'm telling you the truth. You have a choice, either believe it or not. Because here's the great fallacy. So many of us are fighting for freedom but believing we are defeated. And you cannot believe you are defeated and achieve freedom. Because you will always behave according to your belief. If you believe you are defeated, you will act defeated. And you will experience defeat. If you believe you are a sinner, you will act like a sinner and you will experience sin. If you believe you are in bondage, you will act like you are in bondage and you will walk in bondage. But the whole time you're struggling to get free from a bondage that you're only in because you believe you're in it. Greetings, mighty warrior. And he argued with the angel. What are you talking about, mighty warrior? You tripping. 
I'm the least in my father's house. My father's clan is the least of our tribe. Our tribe is the least of all the tribes, and we're all in trouble. I'm at the bottom of the food chain, and God says, I don't care if you're at the bottom of the food chain. I called you a mighty warrior, and you're about to, you're about to act like a mighty warrior, but I need you to believe you are first. I want you to get this. This is so important. When I was a little boy, the Lord called me to the ministry at a young age. And I used to go outside by myself in different places and just preach sermons by myself to the grass, to the swings. The members of my first church were blades of grass. And I had a huge congregation. When I was in the ninth grade, I got a job at my school as the assistant to the janitor, and I would walk around the school, and I loved it because nobody was there. And I would walk, and I'd be sweeping up the tan bark, and I'd be preaching to the tan bark. And I'd be watering the grass, and I'd be preaching to the grass. And I'd be watering the flowers, and I'd be preaching to the flowers. I, was, I preached everywhere, everywhere. And every day, I was just constantly preaching. So much so that I believed myself to be a preacher. I just believed it. From the moment God called me to be a preacher, I believed I was a preacher. And I remember I was in the ninth grade, maybe, and I was invited to give a short speech at a banquet that was happening at the school. And all the parents were there. And I got up and I gave this speech. And inside I just thought, I just killed that. <laughs> and I went and sat down, just fully confident. And after it was over, one of the parents came to me and she was gushing over this. She said, oh, that was wonderful. That was marvelous. And she looked at me and said, you're going to be a great speaker one day. And I thought, I didn't, I said, thank you. But inside, here's what I thought, going to be? <laughs> I literally thought this, I already am. Whether I was or not is not the point. Yeah. The point is I believed I was. Yeah. And so I behaved according to that belief. Yeah. And everything that I've done has flowed out of that belief. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when I first started in Bible college, four years later, my first year of Bible college. They asked me to preach to the youth on a Sunday evening. Had the same confidence. And I got up. I preached with all my heart, and I thought to myself, I just nailed that. <laughs> and there was a visiting minister that I adored, I looked up to, and every once in a while he would come to town and preach at our church in the main service. His name was Bishop Theodore McKinney. And that Sunday morning, I ran to him at the altar. I said, Bishop McKinney, I'm preaching tonight to the youth. Would you come? And he said, sure. I'd love to hear you preach, Benjamin. And so he came to the service that night, and I was so proud. I finished that sermon, and I sat down. And as soon as the service was over, he walked up to me, and he patted me on the back and said, everything's going to be okay, young man. <laughs> he goes, don't be discouraged. <laughs> don't be discouraged. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. And I remember thinking, what's he talking about? I killed that. 
<laughs> and I remember my mom and dad, they recorded it and they took me when I came home and I was so proud and they sat me down. They're like, okay, son, um, can we talk about your sermon? <laughs> you remember that, mom? It's <laughs> like, and they were so gentle and loving, and they were they're like, can we do, you, do we just discuss this just a little bit? <laughs> and I'm like, discuss what? It was awesome. What's there to discuss? Well, later, maybe a year or so later, they gave me that recording, and I listened to it, and I was like, ooh, <laughs> oh, that was really bad. Sometimes it's better to be ignorant. Because what, what if I was more aware of how bad that sermon was? I might have quit. I might have made a decision on that night. Oh, I guess I'm not called to be a good preacher. I guess I'm not. I guess that's not who I am. I thought I was a great speaker, but I did so bad. I guess I'm not. I would have never given myself time to grow. Sometimes the strength, and of course, I had to develop a little bit of humility. <laughs> Both my mom and my wife bore witness to that. Humility is the ability to hear critical feedback. I couldn't, I couldn't hear it. My mom and dad, they started to give me the feedback. And they sensed my heart wasn't open to hear nothing. So they just backed off. Just leave him be. <laughs> I guess God will show him. <laughs> now, humility is where I can actually receive critical feedback without losing my sense of identity. Where I can actually hear, that wasn't so good. And actually embrace that and cling to this identity. You are a great speaker. Yeah, 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 yeah. But now act like it by speaking greatly. Because yeah. what you just did was not great. But you still got to hold on to the belief. You still got to hold on to the knowledge of who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, there's something called failure bias. I read a study where they had this room full of people and they basically they had the, the, the room split in half, but they were all mixed together. Half of the people in the room, they gave, they gave two different tests. Half the people in the room got one test, the other half got a, another test. And there were four questions on the test, four math problems. The first half, the first three questions were unsolvable. The second half, the first three questions were super easy. But everybody's fourth question was the same, and it was moderate, very solvable. The people, the half of the room that had three unsolvable questions first, had already given up by the time they got to the fourth question. Yeah. They approached the fourth question with a failure bias. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They already believed they were defeated before they even looked at the question. Because if the last three questions defeated me, then the fourth one, I just expect it's going to defeat me. Yeah. But the group that got the first three questions easy, all of them went into the fourth question with a success bias. Yeah. They assumed, I knocked out the first three, I'm going to knock out the fourth. Yeah. David faced Goliath with a success bias. Yeah. 
The Lord anointed me to kill a lion and a bear. You're going to be just like that lion and that bear. There's no difference between what that lion and that bear and you. I can take you out just like I took them out. My God is with me now just as he was with me then. Success bias. Failure bias. And what they found was that the half the room that went into the fourth question with a failure bias, a very small percentage of them were able to answer that question correct. Whereas the half the room that went into that question with a success bias, almost all of them were able to solve it. The fact of the matter was everyone in the room could have solved it. But the only thing that kept the first half of the room from solving it was that they believed that they could not solve it. Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I was so convicted by the Lord, I've been meditating on that verse because I realize that there are certain things that I've been thinking in my heart about myself that are the only reason why I can't do certain things. I remember when we first started the church, I used to say this to everybody, I said it all the time, and especially, you know, Um, people, anyway, um, other pastors, older pastors, successful pastors. I used to say, I'm such a good preacher, but I'm a terrible leader. I used to say that. I'm such a good preacher, but I'm not a good leader. I'm such a good preacher, but I'm not good at administration. I'm such a good preacher, but I can't, I can't build systems. I would say those types of things. Me, And now looking back, the only reason why I haven't been able to do those things is because I believed from the beginning that I cannot do those things. I had to stop and ask myself, does this belief serve me? Does it serve my family? Does it serve my community? So then why am I believing it? Where's the evidence to support that belief? The evidence is I believed it and then I failed in that area because I believed I would fail in that area for 19 years. Well, maybe if I believe something different, I'll behave differently and I'll get a different result. But you and I both know that the definition of insanity is doing the same old thing in the same old way and expecting a different result. The worst thing you can do is simply walk around saying 2023 is going to be different. 2023 is going to be different, but I'm believing everything the same and I'm doing everything the same. But 2023 is going to be different and I'm not believing nothing. Listen, if you don't believe different, you're not going to get anything different. You don't need a mantra. You need to identify a lie. This is a lie because this is the Israelites in the wilderness. They took one look at the Canaanites and said, we can't do that. They're too big for us. They're too great for us. The sons of Anak are there. That land swallows up its inhabitants. We're like grasshoppers to them. And the only reason why they couldn't enter in is because they believed that they could not enter in. Let me ask you a question. What promised land have you been locked out of simply because you've never believed that you could enter into it? That's your next level in 2023. That's what you need to write that down. You need to sketch it on the wall. You need to tattoo it on your hand or something. Your task for 2023 is to identify the promised land that you've been locked out of because of your unbelief. And say, I'm going into that promised land this year. I'm going into that promised land this year. 
And I sat down and I wrote down seven affirmations for myself for 2023. And you know what the first one is? I am a great leader. I, I am a great leader and I will build sustainable systems in this church that reproduce sustaining leaders and that reaches a multitude of people for Jesus Christ. I'm a great leader. I'm not just a preacher. I'm a leader. I'm an administrator. The enemy has locked me up with that lie for too many years. I'm not going to live chained to that lie any longer. I'm going to be free in 2023. Decide. It's a decision. You need to make a decision. See, the problem is most believers have made a decision to follow Jesus, but have not made a decision to believe anything that he said. Yeah. I heard somebody say yesterday, most believers are streakers because they're clothed only in the helmet of salvation, but they're butt naked from the neck down. No breastplate of righteousness. Loins are all ungirt with no truth to girt your loins. No shoes of the preparation of the gospel. No shield of faith. Just butt naked. I got my helmet of salvation. That's, and just proud of it. Make a decision. I'm not going to be a butt naked believer in 2023. Put some dang clothes on. You're embarrassing yourself and you don't know it. Amen. I'm going to say this and then I'm going to end. Just finished reading a book by a guy named Howard Marks. It's called Mastering the Market Cycle. And Howard Marks talks about the fact that in every economy there are cycles. And you got to understand the cycles. I'm going to be preaching a lot more on this this year because this is speaking right to the financial torment that so many believers experience. And most of it is because you've been taught wrong. You've been taught and we've taught you wrong. Because what we taught you is that you're supposed to sow your seed and then reap a harvest. But we taught you that the seed is the offering you sow into the church. And then you reap a harvest from that. And that's wrong. It's not right. If you can imagine in ancient Israel, any farmer coming to the temple with a bucket of seed and just dropping off his seeds at the temple, the priest would look him up and down and say, what are you doing? I'm giving my, I'm sowing my seed. He goes, no, 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 no. Go sow your seed in the field. Water those seeds and raise a harvest. And around harvest time next year, bring a tithe of your harvest to the temple, not your seeds. We don't want your, you want us to do your work for you? You want us to grow your harvest for you? Which means that every farmer in Israel needed to have a deep understanding of the seed, the soil, and the seasons. The farmer had to know how to sow the right seed into the right soil at the right season in order to reap a harvest. Only then could that farmer honor the Lord with his substance and with the first fruits of his increase so that his barns would be filled with plenty and his vats would burst with new wine. But in the house of God, the only thing we teach you is you sow your seed into the church, which is wrong. Every believer needs to be an investor. Every believer should be an investor. 
because you cannot give a tithe and just expect. I mean, if imagine a farmer in ancient Israel dropping off his seed and then going home and just expecting just crops to fall out of the sky. Look at that promise in Deuteronomy 28, which says you're going to be blessed in the city and blessed in the field. What's blessed? Your flocks and your herds are blessed, which is your business. Your water troughs are blessed, which is your business. Your kneading basket is blessed, which is your business. If you ain't got no business, if you ain't got no investments, God's got nothing to bless. And so if you want to reap a harvest in 2023, you need to understand something about the seed, about the soil, and about the seasons. And you got to learn how to sow the right seed into the right soil at the right seasons. And what tends to happen is we walk around with zero knowledge of the cycles. Because the market cycle is like the seasons that the farmer experienced in ancient Israel. We experience them in terms of market cycles. If we had any idea of how market cycles worked, we would not have bought a house in 2007. We would have bought the house right around the time we lost it in 2011. You know why we bought in 2007? We were ignorant of the season. It was like a farmer sowing his seed in the middle of the summer. It's a good seed and it's good soil. It's just the wrong season. You understand what I'm saying? This is what I was trying to get to. We're going to talk a lot more about that in the coming days because, honestly, the Power to Produce Wealth series is not over. Because you still ain't got the power to produce wealth. You still broke. (laughs) we're going to come back to that Howard Marks said the cycle, the market cycle is governed by two things all we see is the price cycle the price goes up, the price goes down if you're investing in a stock Tesla, whatever the stock price goes down and then the stock price goes up then the stock price goes down, the stock price goes up that's the cycle But he says, before there's the price cycle, there's two cycles. First is the psychological cycle. And the second is the credit debt cycle. Psychological cycle. I'm going to focus on that just for a second. What does he mean? He says, here's what happens psychologically to human beings. When things are good and the market's going up, you become overly optimistic. I can't lose. It's never a bad price to buy. All is well. Can't lose. No matter what, I can't, I can't miss. Everything I buy turns to gold. Everything I touch turns to gold. You ever have those seasons in your life where you just felt like, I can't miss? No? Dang. <laughs> those seasons where it just feels like stuff is just working and it's going well and you're just so optimistic about your future. But then when the tide turns and the market becomes bearish, those same investors become overly pessimistic and you just believe, I can't win. No matter what, I can't win. Anything I buy is going to be a loss. And what tends to happen is that investors throw in the towel at exactly the moment where the opportunity of the lifetime presents itself. And then investors are buying exactly at the time when you should be taking profit. So what fear does to us is it gets us out of season. It knocks us out of the season so that you're doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. And this is what I believe the word of the Lord to to you is today. 
Some of you, actually, I got to give you one more piece to this, and then I'm going to tie it in, okay? I promise, this is going somewhere. If I had a bucket on this stage with 100 ping pong balls in it, and some of them were yellow and some of them were blue, and you were making a bet, just reaching your hand in that bucket, on what color the ball was going to be. If you had no clue about the ratio in the bucket, it's a shot in the dark. You're just gambling. I don't know, blue, yellow. But if you were able to do some analysis and you determined that 30% of them were yellow and 70% of them were blue, let's say there's 100 balls in that bucket, 30 are yellow and 70 are blue, what would the strategy be? Always bet blue, right? I say, okay, tell me, what's it going to be? You say, blue. Why? Because you've got a 70% chance of success. But the fact that 70% of them are blue does not mean that you can't pull a yellow. It doesn't mean you can't pull a string of yellows. It doesn't mean you can't pull 10 consecutive yellows. Watch what happens. So I, I say, okay, what's it going to be? And you say, blue. And I pull it out, it's yellow. I say, all right, how about the second time? I pull it out, it's yellow. Okay, how about the third time? I pull it out, it's yellow. Okay, how about the fourth time? It's yellow. By the fifth time, it's yellow. What are you thinking? My analysis is wrong. They lied to me. I've got to switch up my strategy and throw it in the garbage. So now I'm going to go back between yellow and blue, yellow, blue, yellow, blue, yellow, blue, not realizing that every yellow ball I pull out increases the probability that the next one's going to be blue, which means every yellow ball I pull out increases the ratio of blue to yellow balls. If I pull out 10 consecutive yellow balls, now there's only 20 yellow balls left, and there's still a full 70 blue balls there. So what's the strategy? Keep believing for blue. Keep believing for blue. Because you know what's going to eventually happen? All the yellow balls are going to be gone, and there's going to be nothing but blue. So every yellow ball that comes out, you need to go, thank you, Jesus, another one out of the way. Blue. Yellow, thank you, Jesus. 15 yellow gone, that means there's only 15 yellow left in the entire thing. I went from 70% blue, now I'm at 85% blue. It gets better with every failure. You hearing me? Why am I telling you this? Because for some of you, 2022 was a yellow year. And 2021 was a yellow year. And 2020 was a yellow year. And 2019 was a yellow year. And 2018 was a yellow year. And so you're expecting a yellow 2023. You thought the promises failed. You thought God forgot you. What you don't realize is every yellow year gets another one out of the way. Because the blue years are coming. And you got to keep believing. You got to keep standing in faith. Come on, somebody. Don't give up on the blue years. Don't give up on the years of the Lord's favor. I don't care what happened last year. I don't care what happened the year before. Your latter will be greater than your past. 
Your ladder will be greater than your past. He's taking you from glory to glory to glory to glory. But between each glory is a dark valley. And maybe you had to walk through a dark valley for a few years. You're on the way to the next glory. And the next glory is going to be higher than the last glory. And the next glory is going to be higher than the next glory. Don't give up. Amen. Come on, stand up on your feet and give God a shout of praise if you believe that. Go ahead, play me something. Actually, sit down again. Yeah, keep playing. We're going to take communion now. Now that you got set free, this is the perfect time to take communion. Because some of us have been walking in so much unbelief. It's almost as if we believe that the blood of Jesus Christ is not enough. That what he did for us is not enough. When, as you're served, just hold on to it. Don't open it yet. We're going to take it together. Receiving communion without believing the truth yeah. is just religious. Last night, my daughter and I watched The Incredibles Part 2. One of my favorite movies, all of The Incredibles. But there's a scene where Elastigirl and Mr. Incredible, they have three children, one's a baby. And the little boy and the little girl, the little boy is like super fast, the little girl is, uh, she can turn invisible and she can make force fields. And there's a scene where the boy and the girl are in a plane with their mother and there's missiles, heat-seeking missiles coming at their plane. And the mother starts shouting at the little girl, put a force field around the plane. Put a force field around the plane. She's like, oh, I, 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 I can't put a force field around. But you told me not to use my power. I know what I said. Put a force field around the plane. And she can't do it. And she's trying to. And little force fields are appearing. And finally the mother comes and envelops them. And the plane explodes. And the mother protects them by enveloping them with her elastic body. And when it was over, the little girl came to her and said, Mom, I'm sorry, I know you told me to, and I'm sorry, I tried. And her mother said, no, Violet, it wasn't fair for me to ask so much of you so soon. She said, but things are different now. And doubt is a luxury that we can no longer afford. Things are different now. And doubt is a luxury that we can no longer afford. And then she told her daughter, you're more powerful than you can imagine. If anything goes wrong, act, don't think. You'll know exactly what to do. It's in your blood. I just, I just teared up. I was like, that'll preach right there. That'll preach right there. <laughs> Things are different now and doubt is a luxury that we can no longer afford. You need to make a decision today. I can no longer afford the luxury of doubt. I can no longer afford the luxury of doubt. I can no longer afford to walk around groveling and I'm a failure and I tried and it didn't work and nobody listens to me and how can that, and I just, no, you can't afford that anymore. Doubt is too expensive for you. And listen, somebody bring me communion because I need to take it too. Oh, oh, thank you. See my wife? This is the body of Christ which is broken for you. This is the blood of Jesus Christ which was spilled for you. This is communion. Believing in the power of what he did for you. 
believing that when he gave his life for you, it worked. That when he shed his blood for you, it worked. That when he rose up from that grave for you, it worked. That when he ascended to the right hand of the Father for you, it worked. That he ever lives to make intercession for you and his intercession works. That you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he works. I'm telling you that the power towards you is so much greater than you could ever imagine and you can't afford to walk around in defeat for one more moment and that means that doubt is a luxury that you can no longer afford. This is communion. This is the body of Christ, which was broken for you. We do this in remembrance of him. You may partake with hearts filled with faith and thanksgiving. This is the blood of Christ, which was shed for you. We do this in remembrance of him. Hallelujah. Just worship him just for a moment. We worship you, Jesus. Speak your worship to him right now. Lord Jesus, we worship, we adore you, we thank you. No other fountain, no, nothing but the blood of Jesus. We love you. We thank you for the cross. We adore you. And we thank you for bringing to us this very morning our very own Sister Rhonda Curry. We love you. We love you. We love you. Amen. Stand up on your feet this morning. Lift your hands to the Lord. You have been crucified with Christ. You no longer live, but Christ lives in you. And the life that you live in the body, you live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved you and gave himself for you. And I call that faith of the Son of God to come alive in you today, to set you free from your doubt and your unbelief, your fear, that power of bondage that causes your eyes to be clouded and closed so that you can't see how powerful you are. I release you into the expectation of great things that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And I release to you in 2023 the joy of the Lord to be your strength and the favor of the Lord to be your shield. In Jesus' precious, holy, mighty name. 
Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. See you next week. Our 19th anniversary celebration next Sunday. You don't want to miss it.